so glad to be here this morning celebrating the resurrection of Christ. This weekend uh, is the most important weekend of the year for Christians where we celebrate the core historical truths of our faith. Um, that our faith is not a philosophy, it's not um, a metaphor, uh, that it is grounded in history as we are grounded in history. And so that means the salvation that we um, experience is real. Uh, Paul tells us that these facts are of first importance. First uh, Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And if you're like me, these facts can become normal, they can become mundane and irrelevant to my day-to-day -day life. The resurrection is why we celebrate not just Easter, but every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. That's why we gather. Um, but it can become very regular. And so I am always grateful to God for the liturgy every year to remember that these are not normal facts. These are not irrelevant. They're not mundane. They are life-changing. Uh, before Annette comes up and reads our scripture from First Peter this morning, I just want to pause and ask us to remember the reality just to sort of put ourselves in the place of the disciples and what they experienced, how these things really happened. If you're here and you're not a Christian, then I just invite you to use your imagination. Uh, think as if these things are true, as if they happened. I was grateful for the opportunity to walk through the Stations of the Cross this Friday. Um, the Stations remind us that Good Friday is not a metaphor, right? It's not an illustration. It's a historical fact. A fact which was experienced by Jesus moment by moment in excruciating detail. If you've heard me preach on Easter, you know that every year I bring up this painting, 16th century, the body of the dead Christ in the tomb. The whole form of Christ is emaciated, the ribs and bones plain to see, hands and feet riddled with wounds. He's blue and swollen, like a corpse on the point of decomposition. The face is agonized, the eyes are half open, but with no expression in them. Uh, Dostoevsky wrote about this painting in one of his novels, suggesting that it had the power to make you lose your faith. And that is exactly what did happen, right, to the disciples. Upon seeing the crucified body of Christ, they lost their faith. When Christ was alive and strong, Peter boldly proclaimed, right, you are the Christ the son of the living God. But when Jesus was arrested and beaten, he fled. He denied he ever knew him. He and all the disciples lost their faith that day. But something happened on Sunday that gave them their faith back and gave them it back in tremendous power so that later Peter himself would be arrested and beaten and crucified. Here is the painting of the crucifixion of St. Peter by Caravaggio. How did he not deny Jesus then? in such a more difficult circumstance. Instead, he boldly proclaimed the gospel of Christ, even in death. What happened? What changed about Peter? And have we been changed like this? Our church is currently working through the book of 1 Peter, written by this same apostle, to encourage a struggling church. And as we read 1 Peter, it's important to remember the breadth of experience that he brings into the book and let that inflect his voice in our hearts. Let it give authority to us. Sometimes I can imagine that the Bible doesn't really get life in 2022. It doesn't really understand. But rest assured, Peter does understand. He's been through a lot. 
He walked with Jesus for three years, saw miracles and listened to his teaching. He saw him walk on water and walked on water with him. He slept under the stars with Jesus. He laughed with him. He learned about the coming kingdom of God, dreamed about it. And then he watched this same man be crucified. I listened to a podcast this week on the history of crucifixion, and it ruined my day. Um, I used to worry or have a suspicion that maybe Christians were exaggerating when they talked about it being the most cruel form of death. Um, but these two historians who were not Christian were making that case. Um, it was a form of punishment perfected over centuries for maximum cruelty and the utmost shame. That's what it was for, was to shame people who dared to challenge the authority of Rome. We can't fathom the experience of Jesus or the experience of the disciples watching him. Here is uh, Michelangelo's uh, Pieta. And I wonder, did Peter see Mary receive Jesus? Man, think about the despair of that moment, the depth of sadness. But by the time the apostle pens first Peter, that despair is gone. You can't find it in the book of first Peter. You can't find it in the book of Acts. There is no despair anywhere. So what happened? His life hadn't gotten easier, it was harder. And quite simply, Peter saw the risen Christ. And he didn't just see him in a vision, he saw him in person, in the flesh. Remember the story in the Gospel of John when Peter recognizes Jesus on the beach from his fishing boat? And what does he do? He jumps out of the boat and swims to him. A hundred yards, the Bible says. That is a long way to swim in open water. I kind of, I, I just imagine the beauty of that moment and Jesus just laughing on the shore as he's waiting for how long for Peter to reach swimming in his clothes. The excitement of Peter, arriving exhausted, soaking wet, throwing himself at Jesus. Then he ate fish with him on that beach, he received forgiveness from him for denying him three times on that beach. And that's gonna come and read our scripture for this morning, and I want you to just remember the fullness of Peter's experience as you listen. Remember all that Peter has seen as you hear his encouragement to the church. And Our scripture reading for today is from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who have prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so happy. I pray that that would be the abiding emotion in this room, that there would be happiness. Because Christ is alive. Father, I pray that we would Remember the experience of Peter swimming a hundred yards to see Jesus, to be with him again. I pray for those who are here who have never met Jesus. I pray for those here who feel a hundred yards away from Jesus, that they've returned to their old ways, fishing. Father, would you give us all a vision and an excitement and eagerness to jump in the water and get as fast as we can to him, knowing that he is alive and that he is ready to extend forgiveness and grace and hope to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I had a birthday a few weeks ago, turned 39 years old, and I received this card from Jared Davis. <laughs> The inside of the card reads, David, I remember 39. Life was so simple then, so easy. Relish the moment, living it up. Cherish each day, because next year it's over. <laughs> Adulting will kick your ass on the other side of 40 so hard that you won't know what hit you. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Love, Jerry Lee. Such an encourager. <laughs> Easter is the day Christians celebrate that Jared's picture is no longer the whole story. <laughs> it is part of the story. Jared is correct. That cliff is coming for me. And 40 won't be the first cliff I've fallen off of, and it won't be the last. But Easter promises that there is life, abundant life, eternal life on the other side of that cliff, on the other side of suffering, on the other side of loss, on the other side of grief and pain, all because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That realization is what the resurrection did for Peter. After witnessing the horror of the crucifixion of Christ, after enduring his own bitter shame for running away and denying Jesus at his lowest point, in the resurrection, Peter receives Jesus back, and just as important, Jesus received him back. That experience changed everything for Peter. It rewrote his understanding of the Bible, of theology, of history, of wisdom, of power, of hope, of everything. Peter learned that with Christ, death is not the end. 
Failure is not final. Because of Jesus, there is life on the other side. This morning, I want to key in on a phrase that is foundational to the Christian story and experience. It's found at the end of verse 11 in 1 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Suffering and subsequent glory. This is the pattern of redemption that Peter finds in all of Scripture, going way back to Moses, Genesis. This is the story of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And this is also our story if we follow Jesus, suffering followed by glory. And that pairing is so important because you can't experience resurrection without first dying. That's why Jesus always talks about them together. Pre-resurrection Peter followed Jesus because he thought it was going to be all glory all the time. Right? Always up and to the right. No cliffs. But Jesus warns his disciples many, many times. Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He told them this a lot, but they just sort of were confused and ignored it, as we do. Even after his resurrection, while they're still in shock from the weekend, Jesus reminds his followers, Luke 24, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Suffering and then glory, that was the way. This was always God's plan all the way back to Genesis. If you're here this morning and are unfamiliar with Christianity, then Good Friday and Easter might strike you as unusual. It's going to strike a lot of people in San Francisco as confusing. Because even if Jesus was crucified and resurrected, what does that have to do with me? How is it relevant? Many thousands of people were crucified. Thousands upon thousands of of people were crucified by the Roman Empire. Sadly, there have even been crucifixions in the 21st century. So without explanation, Jesus' death is just another sad story of humanity killing its best people. And the resurrection, apart from an explanation, is at worst a lie and at best just a curiosity. There are really, really good reasons to believe it's true. I promise you it's not a lie. It's a historically reliable claim. But if it's true, so what? Because people still die. The world is still broken. What does it really accomplish? That's why it's important for us to always remember that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't out of nowhere, and Jesus wasn't just anybody. Good Friday and Easter Sunday are embedded in a larger story. The work of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan for the redemption of the world. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus died and was raised according to the scriptures. He's not talking about his own writings, which weren't probably considered scripture at this time. He's referring to the entire Hebrew scriptures. That Jesus' death and resurrection is explained. It's the climax of the true story of the whole world. The story of creation, fall, promise, redemption, kingdom, and glory, as told in the Bible. So creation teaches us that the world and mankind were both created good 
by God for flourishing and love and peace. And we walk around this beautiful city and we see that goodness on display. It's obvious that it's there. And the fall explains what we already know, how humanity is good no longer. Mankind sought freedom from God's authority to be their own God, but instead they found themselves not free at all, but enslaved to sin and death, estranged from God, the source of life. And that, too, we see evidence of all throughout our city. But God, in his mercy, promised to rescue humanity. And ever since that moment, he has been tirelessly, methodically, patiently moving towards this very moment of Good Friday and Easter. Finally, after many, many years, God sent his son to save us, Jesus. But our predicament was such that our salvation could only be accomplished through Jesus' death. He had to sacrifice himself to pay the wages our sin deserved. A life for a life, blood for blood. That is the way the universe works. But the glory of Easter is that once he paid that debt in full, death no longer had any rights over him. And he rose on the third day. On Friday, Jesus allowed death to swallow him whole, only to blow it up from the inside. He was given eternal life, new life, and in so doing, he carved a path for us to pass through death too. In him, we too can pass through the fire. Gavin Ortland pastor in LA writes, the resurrection of Jesus was as significant a turning point in the course of created reality as the initial moment of creation itself. This is the Christian hope. Humanity's greatest enemy, death, has been defeated. Listen again to how Peter opens the book. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so the Christians to which Peter was writing were suffering immensely. And like all people everywhere, they were struggling to make sense of their suffering. I apologize. (laughs) Especially after Jesus' resurrection. It didn't make sense that they were still suffering Shouldn't that mean that death is over? And so Peter pastors them by pointing them back to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That the glory that followed Jesus' suffering. And the reason that pairing, that pattern is so important to Peter is because it's the pattern he wants us to see ourselves in. And he uses that pattern throughout the whole book. Listen to how he continues, 1 Peter 1, 4. He points first to the glory we have in Christ. We have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the glory. But in this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so Peter is going on and on about the tremendous glory promised to us in Christ's resurrection. Not just promised, but secure, guarded, ready to be revealed, but first for a little while. And hear his pastoral heart in that. For a little while, if necessary, grief, suffering. The New Testament emphasizes again and again that finding eternal life in Jesus always runs through the cross. 
always. What is true for Jesus is true for us. Hebrews 12 teaches us that to be Christ's disciples is to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joys that was set before him, the glory ahead, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our model, suffering and glory. That's why Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we get the pearl of great price by selling everything we have. We receive forgiveness by the death of confessing sin. We gain life by losing it, suffering and glory. The old way, that the way we're reared in, apart from Jesus, is glory than suffering. So that humanity's only hope for flourishing is just fending off suffering for as long as possible. Right? Reliving your glory days, pretending until you physically can't pretend anymore. Billions of dollars are spent every year Hoarding life, avoiding death. That's me. Next year, 40, midlife crisis, fancy car, ponytail. <laughs> avoiding, trying to claw my way up that 40-year cliff, right? And apart from the resurrection of Jesus, that makes perfect sense. Because without Easter, death is always final. That's why the disciples all ran away from Jesus on Good Friday when they realized he was just going to let himself die. But after the resurrection, the disciples stopped running away from death. Why? Not because death no longer hurt, not because death was no longer hard, but because death was no longer final. The resurrection reversed the curse. God broke death by submitting himself to it. Like a virus. So now, instead of life, being marked by a temporary glory leading to eternal suffering. Because of the gospel, life is temporary suffering leading to eternal glory. Realizing this, the disciples just started running at death, killing off all the important things in their life, their belongings, their reputations, their health and time and relationships, even their own lives for the sake of Jesus. They let them all die because they believed the resurrection was true and that every important thing they lost would be given back to them a hundredfold. Now thinking about this from our place, there's another wrinkle to this logic because suffering still hurts. And so doesn't it still make sense to avoid it if you can? And that depends. One of the most curious details included in the biblical accounts of Jesus' resurrection is the continued presence of Christ's scars. Isn't that wild, that little detail? That for all eternity, Jesus' body will continue to bear witness to the suffering he endured on Good Friday. Why? Good Friday was one of the most terrible, traumatic, events endured by anyone, why remember it forever? And that's because Easter does not simply undo his suffering, as if Good Friday never happened. It redeems it. 
right? His resurrection doesn't reverse suffering. It brought it forward and made it beautiful so that his glorified body will continue to bear witness to the scars of his pain. So that what was the most awful Friday in human history became the best Friday, good Friday. And Peter offers that same hope to us so that because of Easter, our hope is not that God would simply reset our bodies and erase our traumas. He is going to mend them. He's going to redeem them and make them beautiful. Where there will be discontinuity because you will be so new, but there will be continuity as well. You will still be the same person with the same history and the same story, but it will all be glorious. And the saddest, most awful parts of your stories will be transformed into something beautiful. Just as Jesus' scars were transformed into glory, so our scars will be transformed. This is what Peter means in verse 7 when he explains that God gives us trials so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The poet George Herbert wrote that in Christ, death has now become a gardener, which is a beautiful image. That in Christ, the violence of death has already been turned into a garden tool, cultivating beauty in our lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. We are seeds of what we will become. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. This is the purpose of 1 Peter, to remind the church not only that this life is not all there is, so don't be just too discouraged by suffering. That is true and important for us to remember, especially with suffering that just happens to us, right? Like sickness, financial troubles, no matter what happens, our inheritance in Christ remains safe and secure. That is good news. But the resurrection offers us more than that. First Peter also teaches us that in Christ, suffering leads to greater glory. Our inheritance increases with our suffering. Death is not incidental to our salvation. Your hard experiences today are not pointless, but will themselves purify your faith, resulting in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. First of all, praise and glory and honor to him, but also praise and glory and honor to you. And so in that case, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. That posture is only possible because of Easter. So don't begrudge your suffering. And as God leads, lose your life. Sell your stuff. Love your enemies. Pick up your cross. You won't regret it. It is the way to glory. It is the way to resurrection. If you want resurrection, you have to die first. One last question. How is it that Jesus was able to carve a path through death to life? Because death wasn't always a gardener. 
It doesn't feel like a gardener. Outside Christ, death is judgment. The wages of sin is death. And so how did Jesus change that? Well, Jesus changed death by taking care of the judgment, by paying the penalty for sin, because that is a kind of suffering, suffering for sin, suffering for judgment, that none of us could handle on our own. If I go into death without the forgiveness of sin, God's just judgment against sin will drown me before I reach to the other side. I can't make it through. Sin is the poison of death. It's the sting that kills. And so what Jesus does for you and for me, because he's both perfect man and holy God, is he descends into death ahead of me and drinks up all the poison, all the wrath, every last drop, so that I now can go into death and there's no poison left. It's all gone. And so I, though a sinner deserving judgment, can pass right through it and am even improved by it. But he only does that for us if we ask him to. Each of us has a choice. We get to pick the kind of death we want. Do we want to die in Jesus' name or in our name? Or in the name of something else? Do I think that I'm strong enough, good enough, fierce enough to survive death on my own? Or have I discovered some other savior or system or philosophy that has the power to get me across death safely? I'm reminded of Greek mythology in order to get across the river. Um, You needed to have a coin in your mouth. You needed to pay the fare. And so that's why in, in Greek times for funerals, they would put a coin in people's mouths so that um, I think Hermes would take the coin and escort them across. And so it's just one point that, that everybody realizes that they need something to get them across. The Greeks realized that there, had, there, there was something extra that needed to move them across the river to glory. Christ has paid that for us. When we die in Christ, it's like a coin of his righteousness in our mouth that allows us to move safely across. Becoming a Christian and being a Christian is a decision to die with Christ, to obediently hold his hand through suffering, to let him hold mine, to follow him wherever he takes me. He's already done it once, died and rose again. He's figured out how to move from suffering to glory, through suffering to glory. Can I do that? Has anyone else figured it out? Do you know anyone else? I don't, which is why I trust him to do it. And Easter is a day where we celebrate again. He did it once, he did it for me, he'll do it again. And so if you're here this morning and you've got no one to hold your hand through death, no coin in your mouth, no one to go ahead of you to take the sting of judgment out of it, take Jesus' hands. Die in his name, follow him. Only he has gone through death and come out alive. He is our living hope. And if you're here as a Christian, remember that because of Christ's victory, death has lost its sting. It's hard. Suffering is hard but there is glory on the other side. 
Death is only a gardener to you. An agent of God leading to eternal life. Nothing you're facing can take away that future. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful for Christ's pioneering work. He didn't have to do this because he wasn't under threat of judgment. Jesus, you were perfect. You had earned salvation for yourself. But you chose to descend into death, the most horrible death, to take all of God's wrath against sin, to drink it all, the cup, to drink out all the poison, to make a path for us to, to break through. Father, we thank you for that. Father, I pray for people here who are struggling with shame and guilt, who are worried. Father, would you help them look to Jesus to take his hand and let him lead them through? Father, would you help them to experience the forgiveness they have in Christ, the grace that comes in you, that we, though weak, though wretched, are free and forgiven and righteous? We have the fare we need to get across. Father, I pray for those who are not Christian here. Father, would they recognize their need to get through suffering, that you can't live your life just avoiding suffering. It's going to come. And so the question is, how do I get across it safely? And Father, would they take your hand this morning? Father, we're thankful for Easter. We're thankful for the resurrection. Father, would we be like Peter, overcome with excitement, doing foolish, silly things like swimming 100 yards to see you. Father, would you help us to do that today and to shout out from the rooftops. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.